This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Election results, Trump predictions. And Mellanox sets bar at 200 gigabits. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell. And This Week in HPC is distributed in partnership with our friends at Top500.org. And that's Michael Feldman, editor of Top500.org. How's it going, Michael? Well, it's been an interesting week, I can say that. (laughs) (laughs) It has definitely been an interesting week, not only because we're getting ready for supercomputing, and at the end of this podcast, you and I will come back around to a couple of things we're looking forward to at the show as kind of a bonus third topic. But the big thing that's been on all of our minds here in the United States is we had this little presidential election going on. And as of now, we have a new president-elect. Donald Trump will become president of the United States this coming January. And regardless of anyone's personal politics, the story we wanted to bring to our podcast this week in HPC is the extent to which that was a surprise, because heading into Election Day, the majority of polls, analytics, even renowned big data people were telling us that Hillary Clinton was going to prevail. And then the vote happened, and that's not how the day went. Yeah, and in fact, it wasn't just on Election Day. The polls for the past, what, year? They never had Trump ahead at any particular point in the polls, or if they did, it was just a slight lead. So basically, you could look at the whole history of the polls over the last year or so, and they they didn't predict anything like this. So it was a big hit and a miss for for the data analytics folks. And I think there's there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and, and autopsies on what they got wrong. And there's a lot to look at here. I mean, what what did they get wrong? And for the for another point, this is the second time this year something like this has happened because it's right. actually has a lot of parallels to the Brexit vote, which we've also talked about in a previous podcast and what effect Brexit would have on the HPC market. But we didn't at that time talk about the fact that the uh, remains were ahead in the polls. And then it was the leaves who had the surprise win on Election Day. And there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. So that makes one think that it's it's the models that are wrong or the techniques that are being used by the pollsters that are not capturing uh, the reality of the situation. Either they're not capturing the correct uh, voters when they take the polls. In other words, the data is not good or uh, the models themselves are bad in some way. The, the actual algorithms are bad and, and they're, they're miscalculating you know, who's going to be voting and who's not going to be voting. Right. So elections notwithstanding, when you're getting into analytics and particularly predictive analytics, it's it's worth remembering that these things aren't perfect. First of all, your data might be bad. And if right. you have bad data in a model, then it doesn't then you can right. run a great analytics on it and get the wrong prediction. The other thing that can happen is that your model somehow predicting things wrong. You have you have good data, but you make a bad uh, prediction. Now, this is not the same as when you see the odds on a football game and say, well, oh, geez, according to Las Vegas, Pittsburgh was supposed to win by seven points. You know, that's not really how that works. You're using those odds to make it so that an even number of people will bet on either outcome. But, you know, things like a football game and which weird thing happens and who has a good game or makes a catch or doesn't make a catch, that's going to be very different than predicting how people are going to vote. And when when the polls and prediction models get something like this wrong, you're left with a few considerations. One is, um, did you 
fail to sample people in the correct portions. Another is, did people turn out at the polls in a different proportion than you thought they would? Another is, did people misrepresent to you when you asked them how they're actually going to vote? Uh, and then I suppose there's a fourth opportunity, a fourth possibility, which is that people change their minds between Monday and Tuesday. But I, I don't think that's a that's a very uh, big likelihood. I, I think, no. uh, you know, partly it's A and partly it's C that one is that, you know, in the, in the case of the United States, rural voters turned out in in greater proportions than people thought they would when they did the modeling. And I think also with both Brexit and with Donald Trump, I think there were a higher a, a proportion of voters that didn't tell you that's how they were voting until they went and actually did it. Yeah, I, I think that's a correct assessment. And, and I think the difficulty here, it seems like a simple thing to do. You go out and ask people which way they're going to vote, and that's the way they vote. But I, actually, actually, it's hard to collect that data. A lot of people have cell phones now instead of landlines, so it's, you, you've already got a bias built into that collection. And it's just right. hard to collect accurate representative data of a large population. And then there's the, the the real challenge here is that you don't get feedback on how well you're collecting that data as you do it. You have all this run-up and you're all the data's collecting and, and you make these prognostications, but then you have the event and it's like a football game. Either you get it right or wrong, but you don't get the feedback of getting it right or wrong as you're going along. So it's not like the, these AI applications where you're looking at a million images and then you find the image that looks like that. That there's a lot of feedback involved there, so those can be very accurate. Here, you've got to make a lot of assumptions about the variables that are going to affect it, and that's, that is a more difficult problem. And now, to be fair, in, in the U.S. here, one of our most notorious pundits, Nate Silver with 538.com, has become uh, well-known for his accuracy in predicting these things. And, you know, if anyone says, well, his website got it wrong, I think you're failing to understand the subtleties in the data. Going into Election Day, and I was watching that site, uh, he had Hillary Clinton as a 72% favorite to win the election. But that doesn't mean he was predicting she was going to get 72% of the votes. That right. meant he ran a ton of simulations, and in 72% of his models, she won. But that means in 28%, Donald Trump won. So going into Election Day, you know, he had it as a very real possibility, not a likelihood, but a real possibility that, uh, that Trump would win. And you could say the same about a lot of the Brexit polling, where you know uh, I saw some numbers in the Economist that the the remain was eighty eight percent likely. Well, it was the other twelve percent that hit. Yeah, and the other thing we should note here in the presidential election polling was they had her up by a few points, but that was on a national level in most of those polls, and she's actually winning the popular vote right now. She'll probably end up getting the popular vote by a point or maybe slightly less. So. In a sense, those those figures were fairly accurate. They just sort of missed the magnitude of it because they were they had her up by two, three, four, or five points, and it's going to be much much uh, smaller than that. Now, for you non-U.S. Uh, listeners, it's the vagaries of the electoral system we have here, and we can't explain that in a few minutes. But uh, you can you can win big in a state like California, which Hillary did, and only get. And get all those votes. But if you lose by a small margin in other states, uh, you still get all those electoral votes, which is counted to determine the uh, the winner of the election. So you get sort of that sort of discontinuity here. So the winner of the election 
by popular vote, in this case, Clinton uh, lost the, the electoral vote. So there's that complication, too. And most of the polls didn't have the granularity uh, on a state by state basis to, to figure out some of those things. So that, that kind of got lost in the mix as well. And you can have, uh, you know, a very slight change to where it's predicted that Hillary Clinton will very narrowly win important states like Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Florida. And then it very narrowly goes the other way. And then that right. turns the whole election on its head. Exactly. So it's it, it's a tough it's a tough thing to predict. It seems simple, but I think we're all seeing now that, you know, these things are, are challenging to do. And uh but I think uh, just having this experience, especially from not just this, but Brexit, people are going to go forward and make the models better and do better data collection, try and figure out how to get uh, uh, the better forecast going forward. Right. Well, the the reason it's important and germane to this podcast is because when we talk about predictive analytics, we're very what we want as humans is to get down to things that are binary, a yes, no, up, down kind of dis- in, out kind of decision. And you know, these models really deal in percentages and we see something that's like a 62% and we want to say, all right, that's what's going to happen. But it, it well, 62% of the time it did. Right. And then here, here's the rest of it. Yeah. And in fact, that's a very important point because the interpretation of those polls by people is a thing that feeds back into the election. People will look at the polls and say, oh, you know, my person is going to win in my state or my nation. I don't even have to bother to vote or I can do a protest vote or something like that. And so there's sort of a feedback loop. Uh, if you interpret those polls in a certain way, that can actually affect the results as well. So it, it's it's a complicated uh, it's a complicated uh, uh, strategy here. And, and uh, it's it's like I said, it's going to be a tough challenge for these pollsters to go forward and, and make these models more more accurate. Yep. And, you know, the last thing to say about that is among eligible voters in the U.S., about 45 percent of eligible voters didn't vote. And that was high (laughs) voter turnout for this kind of election. So, you know, get out there and vote next time, people. All right. Now let's get to some uh, HPC news here in advance of supercomputing. We've got one big story that did come out of embargo uh, prior to the show. And and I think this is a fairly big one where Mellanox is now um, setting the bar at 200 gigabits per second uh, for its HDR and Finiband and also some Ethernet products. And this is kind of an end-to-end solution. These are solutions that will be shipping in 2017, but we're taking the cover off them now so they can show them next week at the the conference. Yeah, exactly. They decided to to make the announcement in advance of the product releases, which they, they usually do, but I think this is a good time to do it. And, and basically the takeaway here was they're trying to create some distance now between them and now what is their, uh, their, their big competitor, which is Intel and Omnipath at 100 gigabits per second. So they've, they've got that sort of uh, gap now, or at least they will in 2017, unless Intel rushes out its own 200 gigabit product. They'll have that differentiation uh, at least some, sometime in 2017 when the products are released. Um, but yeah, they released them all at once, like you said. It's uh, or not released them all at once. They unveiled them all at once. They talked about them as as sort of a set from switches, adapters, the the cables themselves, and even the software. All of it, it's going to be tuned now to 200 gigabits per second. Now on the switch, that's a uh, that's a, they're only unveiling the uh, InfiniBand switch. The adapter, the Connect X6 adapter, will actually support both InfiniBand and Ethernet at 200 gigabits per second. 
Right. So there's really four different categories of things here in the end-to-end interconnect uh, solution. There's the Connect X6 adapters. That's a, an adapter that now goes up to 200 gigabits a second. It's still 0.6 microseconds of latency, 200 million messages per second. On the switch side, those are their quantum switches. This is a, a, a 200 gigabit per second uh, InfiniBand port. There are 40 of those ports or 80 uh, 100 gigabit a second InfiniBand ports. Uh, throughput, total throughput is uh, 16 terabytes a second. Then there's the Link X transceivers and uh, also the HPX software, which support MPI, Shmem, PGAS, UPC. They've talked about that software before, but they're really unveiling all of those things. Right. And then some of the, on the adapters and switches, they've snuck down the, um, the latency slightly, I think, at least on the, uh, the adapter side, but that's not the big story. In fact, even even the speed, the bandwidth speed, isn't the most important thing to Mellanox. It seems like they're really talking up this offload strategy, this thing they they call Sharp, which is the sort of the co-design strategy that offloads different parts of the application stack, like MPI, onto the adapters and the switches, which makes uh, the the applications run that much faster. And they're they're going all in on this, and they've uh, upgraded that capability with these or they are going to upgrade them with these latest set of switches and adapters um so uh, at this point they think they can get something uh, on the order of i think 30 or 40 percent of mpi running just on on the switches and adapters and they're moving you know even beyond that uh, in, in later versions so they think that's sort of the big differentiation with other solutions and omnipath in particular they, they think that's where they can beat them yeah, absolutely. That's where they're investing a lot in their differentiation. It is a difference in approach between uh, Mellanox and, and Intel with OmniPath, so they're going to talk about that with Sharp quite a bit. Okay, so that was some big news. I know there's going to be a lot more yeah. next week, because we, which we don't need predictive analytics for. Supercomputing <laughs> is always huge. Let's talk real quick about some of the places we're going to be and some of the things we're looking for, starting with uh, any, any of our listeners are welcome at the Intersect 360 SC16 networking reception. That'll be uh, Monday afternoon from 1.30 to 4 o'clock local time at Pierpont Place. If you need to find those details, you can find them on our Twitter handle, at Intersect360. We're also sponsors of the Beowulf Bash Monday night. That's always a, a hugely fun party. I'll also be speaking at the Mellanox uh, event on uh, Wednesday evening uh, at the conference. Michael, you got some stuff going on in the Top 500 booth, don't you? Yeah, actually, we're uh, going to publish a newspaper on Monday that's going to have some uh, some exclusive stories and uh, little blurbs about that. Plus, there's a fun little uh, game associated with that newspaper. Just pick it up and, and uh, fill out the quiz. You might uh, find an interesting activity to do there. Um, uh, but also, of course, you know, it's top 500. There's going to be the list coming out. You know, some of that some of that story is going to be in the newspaper, but that's all always going to be published as a as a press release to everybody, but the list is going to come out on Monday. So might be I, a few things for us to talk about there. Yeah, I, I have a little advance notice being where I am, and there are going to be a few surprises there and some interesting uh, things to talk about. So be on the lookout for that. Um, yeah, and it's it's going to be a lot of interesting things happening around the top 500. There's a boff there that's going to be a, a, a get-together with the press to, to sort of talk about the different things that uh, – that I've changed from the last six months. And uh, yeah, I'll be there. And if you want to connect with me and talk about it in person, I'd, I'd be happy to do so. 
And more than that, we know we're going to be back with other podcasts talking about some of the top stories from supercomputing. We were already talking about uh, the interconnect space, and I think already that's going to be one of the bigger stories. We know on an application side, everything having to do with AI, deep learning, machine learning, the hyperscale space, that's going to be huge. But beyond that, I think down at the technical level, I'd like to take a look at what's going on with uh, object storage and with burst buffers. I think there's some interesting developments in the data space. And I want to take a look at middleware. I think there's a lot of change going on in the HPC middleware space right now and how some of that is consolidating into different packages across the industry. And I bet I'm going to come back and have something to say about that by the end of the week. And Michael, you were talking about some of the changes going on on the processor side. Yeah, I mean, that's always an interesting area for me. We, we know Intel and NVIDIA basically just uh, released new new chips over the last six months. So I'm not sure they'll be talking about anything new there. They might, but there's in the background there, there's also other things going on. I mean, there's we've seen a lot of activity around FPGAs, and Intel's yep. involved in that as well. Um, Xilinx is, is coming up to speed very quickly on that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some announcements around that. There's a few sessions that are focused on FPGAs, and since, uh, you know, Microsoft and Intel are now well ensconced in that technology. Um, it's going to be a. I think those are going to be interesting sessions, and then ARM as well. ARM had a an announcement this morning on how they're collaborating with Cavium and and Suzy Linux on moving their ecosystem forward. Of course, so the, they're part of OpenHPC now, and so they have uh, they're positioning themselves as basically the alternative architecture in the OpenHPC consortium and ecosystem. The, the other one, of course, being x86 and Intel. Um, yep. We're also moving other parts of that technology forward with compilers and uh, things that are going to move the high performance area in particular forward with vectorization support and, and working on that, uh, that particular uh, platform, the ARM8 uh, ARM V8A with scalable vector extensions, the one that's going to be in the uh, Fujitsu system at Exascale. So that's all pushing forward on sort of a parallel level. We might see some more activity around that. It'll be interesting just to go around and, and see what different ARM vendors are talking about there. There's, it's a much more interesting space than it's been even from a year ago. So uh, I'm sort of looking forward to some, some news or activity around that. Yeah, that Fujitsu ARM announcement was one of the biggest from the summer at the ISC right. conference. And then it is, as if all that wasn't enough, we've got some you know major vendors in this space that are all in transitions. We're going to want to check in with Dell and how they're presenting themselves uh, together with EMC, HPE in the uh, post-SGI acquisition, and back around to IBM and what they're doing with Open Power and uh, trying to re-solidify their position in a post-x86 environment for IBM. So we really want to check back in on, on all of those vendors uh, as, as, part of this, uh, as part of the space. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it, it has been a very volatile time for the, the big vendors, the Tier 1 vendors especially. Everybody seems to be moving rapidly. And I think you know, part of that is just you know, the, the industry is changing so quickly. The, the data analytics and AI space is pushing everybody in different directions very rapidly. And I, I don't see this, uh, you know, for stalling anytime soon. I think we're going to still see a lot of volatility on how these, these uh, vendors uh, move forward. Mm -hmm. They're going to be reorganizing themselves almost on a constant basis, I think, nowadays. 
Oh, yeah, and I didn't mean to stop there either. Cray's going to have news. Penguin's going to have news. Lenovo's going to have news. Huawei's going to have news. we got to cover all of these different things. So I, we'll, we'll get in at least one special episode podcast next week for our listeners. This one has already run long, so we'll try to break it off here. We'll come back to you. Your next podcast ought to be from Salt Lake City at the SC16 Conference and Expo. Michael, I'll see you there. Sounds good. I'm glad to see you there, Adam. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.